and I'm an environmental manager for a steel company. Environmental. So what does an environmental manager do? Well, I generally, uh, as far as what I deal with, I help with the permitting. I help with keeping the facility current with the present regulations. I help with training. I help manage waste and stormwater and other programs having to do with uh, basically the EPA and the state's versions of those of the EPA. And how long how long have you been doing that particular job? Uh, directly for industry, about five years, but I've been in the environmental field as a consult, consultant or regulator for about 20. And I, we, I assume on the average day, everything goes fine. All the inspections are wonderful. All the reports are great. Have you ever in your time had a, a real where you got to a situation and it went bad while you were there or you got there and it was way worse than you'd been told? Yeah, I mean, I've been out doing a, a site visit and found a major leak that was going off the property and had to shut down the operation, call the state, uh, get emergency response contractors out to start doing the cleanup and uh, also dealing with uh, the railroad because it went onto their property. So all kinds of stuff like that. Um, also, you get surprise inspections, so either try to get to the site quickly to deal with the regulators or uh, try to help the facility manager via the telephone during the inspection or walk them through it. So stuff like that. Yeah. How do people, when something like that happens, when people weren't expecting something to go wrong that day, what is, what is your, do, how do people react when that you have to come tell them, I just found this, we got to shut this all down. Well, they're generally not happy, but they're also, <laughs> in general, the company I work for, everybody wants to do the right thing. So they're generally amenable to taking care, taking whatever actions are necessary to mitigate the issue. Okay. Is there a part of the job that's particular that you like the most and a part of the job is your least favorite? Well, I personally enjoy getting out, doing the inspections and doing the problem solving and help the facilities uh, do a better job and help try to find uh, ways of doing things that help them stay in compliance with the least amount of cost. Um, I'm not uh, the biggest fan of doing all of the paperwork and reporting, but that's part of the job, so I do it. Do you do you hire the people who come in and figure out how to fix the problem, or do you do any of the sort of well again the environmental engineering of figuring out the best way to run the water to a new location or stop it where it's going? What do you do? All of that. Okay. If I can figure it out, I figure it out. Um, if I need to get someone in there, or sometimes I'll figure out the solution. But since I'm not an engineer, if it needs an engineer's seal. Uh, we'll get it to an engineer for either approval or changing it so that it does fit the proper uh, methods uh, in the engineering field so that it can be sealed and submitted to the state or county or whoever it needs to be submitted to. Yeah. 
How so, well, that's interesting. You mentioned okay, you're you're not an engineer. Uh, so tell me a little bit about your career trajectory. So I know some of it, but I don't even think I know all of it. And it is a, it I would would you say it's not a normal trajectory into your job? You've had many different tangents and changes. Yeah, I mean the way I actually got into this field is when I was in college, one of my instructor's daughters was working in an environmental firm and they needed a technician type help. And so I went to work for them. And what really helped me was my previous uh, experience as an auto mechanic because I was taking care of remediation systems, keeping them running. So that required electrical uh, diagnostics, uh, mechanical diagnostics, and also the ability to ability to do plumbing plus all of the sampling and other types of stuff that go along with that air sampling water sampling soil sampling and so that helped me get into this field and then as time went on uh that company ended up going out of business and i went to work for the state as a regulator and then from there some of the people that i had worked with with that company had gone to a different company and along with those sites that I was previously taking care of had also gone over to that other company. And so I ended up getting pulled away from the state to go to work for that company to take care of the old sites. And uh, in working for them, uh, the company I now work for was a client of that company and they needed help. And there were some changes at the company I was working for that made it not as good of a workplace. So when the company said, hey, we have an environmental manager position open, would you please apply? I did as I did so and it all worked out. So what was if you were doing similar work, what was the major difference between when you were? Were you directly working for the state or were you working for a company that contracted with the state? No, I was de- working directly for the state. I was one of the state well inspectors, and then I went to work for the underground injection control program where I was looking at the permits to inject different compounds for remediation of chemical spills in the groundwater and soil. In your takeaway in having experience both in the private and the public sector and kind of in the same realm of work, what were what are some of the major differences between working for the state and working for a private company to you? Well, working for the state, there's all the wonderful politics that get involved, um, all of the different programs. Um, You're very pigeonholed there. Uh, There's not much room to move up. Um, Also, the benefits were generally good. The vacation time was good. Um, But it wasn't as challenging. Also, uh, working in private industry, uh, as far as being in consulting, you're always worried about having billable hours and making sure that you have uh, a workload that is being paid for by whatever your clients are. So there's always that stress. And then working in industry as the environmental manager, there's always plenty of work. You don't have to worry about billable hours you come in do your job and then go home so there's a lot less stress there it's just you generally have plenty of work so sometimes the stress is trying to get it all done in the 24 hours a day that we have uh 
so I well, let's go. Let, now I want to go all the way back to when you said you were in college. So you mentioned you were an auto mechanic. Is that was that your first job out of high school? Did you train to be a mechanic and then become a mechanic? Correct. Yes. I, okay. Out of high school, I went to a trade school and uh, became an auto mechanic, and I worked in that field for. It was about six or seven years uh, while I was in high school and going to the trade school. And then after that. And what what cars were you working on at the time as an auto mechanic? Um, I specific, I worked for Sears as a in their tire and uh, basically doing mostly tires and batteries. And then after that, <clears throat> when I was in trade school, then I went to work for Saturn and I worked with them until I decided to go to college and uh, get a degree. And what did, what did you decide to get your degree in? What did I decide to get my degree in or what did I get my degree in? Okay, wait, when you went into college, what degree did you think you weren't going to get? And then on the back end, what did you actually graduate with? Well, I was looking at getting a degree in physics and then going and getting a master's in engineering and, and going into the engineering field. Uh, specifically, I was kind of looking at the aerospace industry because uh, of my love of space and science. Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> while in the physics classes, I ended up, there was an exploration geophysics course in the geology program uh, that sounded interesting. So I went and took that. And then next thing I knew, I had all of the requirements for the geology degree and was a little bit short on the physics degree. So I have a degree in geology with a minor in physics. And did that shift happen because you just kind of got lost enjoying the classes or were you kind of methodical about, well, I think I'm now leaning toward this other degree? No, I just had fun doing the geology. It was really interesting and I had fun doing that and it was more fun than the physics. So that's <laughs> kind of just happened that way. So there's, so I know you too. Uh, we have a, you share with a, a friend uh, you have that I share. You guys are really into space and always have been for as long as I've known you. And so I, I totally get the appeal of that in college. So you're like, but physics maybe, so space was interesting, but the actual work of physics didn't turn out to be as much fun or as interesting as you thought it would be. Well, I, I, I wasn't quite as good at it as I was hoping I would be. Also. <laughs> Uh, was it, uh, so what do you think the major, what was the brain block? What do you think, why do you think physics turned out to be harder than you thought it would? Um, I guess, uh, when you just got to a, a level of math that was a little bit over my head and, um, also looking at probably having to get if I wanted to stay pure physics, I would have to get into a PhD and would probably have to be working at a uh, college as a professor um, so that I could do the other stuff. And I still enjoy getting outside and doing stuff outside and don't know if I would want to really be cooped up inside all day. Um, <clears throat> and... Like I said, also, the math was a little bit beyond me when you got into those real high levels of math. And so you went from physics. What about geology? I mean, because there's all kinds of sciences. What do you think you found you liked? What did you like about geology? Well, it was interesting seeing how the earth works and all the different minerals. I've always been interested in 
minerals. Um, so seeing the minerals and how they create the different rocks um, was very interesting. Also having uh, taking the, the physics courses um, and how they relate to the geology. I found that very interesting looking at, at magnetism, <clears throat> gravity, um, ground penetrating radar, and then getting into the uh, company that I ended up going to work for. They also did some of the geophysics. So that was interesting seeing the, <clears throat> seeing it from a, college side and then going and actually putting it to use in the real world found that real interesting so that helped also push me further into it did you do you miss i so auto mechanic is a super hands-on job and then you went to school and then when you got out were the jobs you've had in kind of your 20 some years kind of out in this engineering what do you what do you call your field is it environmental engineering what do you call overall if you said well, the last 20 years i've been in what I, I would just say the environmental field. I wouldn't necessarily okay. engineering because so, I, I'm a licensed geologist with a couple of different states, and that allows me to do the work legally. Okay. So the environmental field overall, was there an appeal? So you talk about you could see the things actually happening. Was there Has there been a lot of hands-on in your 20 years, or has it slowly all that has disappeared and you spend most of your time? You may be out on site, but you're not really messing with stuff. Uh, I am. I, I still get, um, yeah, I mean, at one of the facilities, we had to do some work on a, um, what they call a dry pond. It's almost like it slows the stormwater <clears throat> leaving the facility. It slows it down before it actually has a chance to leave the property. And so we need to do some maintenance on that. So I was out there physically uh, moving riprap around, um, helping to physically grade the bottom of the pond. Uh, I mean, it's not a large, it was like, it's like 150 by maybe 15 foot wide. So we were, we had an excavator that was pulling the material out that had to be removed. And then we were down there with rakes and shovels, figuring stuff out before we laid some sod in the bottom. So yes, there's still quite a bit of hands-on. Um, and then getting out at the facilities and doing an inspection. And if we see something, we try to take care of it while we're there. Um, so, yeah, there's still plenty of hands-on. Is Have you ever seen any uh, – in your, in your years, have you ever seen some really heinous environmental damage because of something that happened or, or you toured someplace where something – most of what I've seen has been more small fry stuff. I mean, I haven't seen like a million gallon spill of, <laughs> of fuel. I haven't seen anything like that. No nuclear meltdowns. You haven't been there for that. No, I mean, I have found radioactive materials. And I mean, I, I'm also a radiation safety officer. So learned how to handle that kind of material. Because sometimes when people, when you get ops, because I have the scrap side of the steel company. <clears throat> and so sometimes when obsolete material comes in, 
those radioactive materials don't get taken out like they're supposed to during a demolition of a facility. Sometimes they get forgotten about. So sometimes we are the ones that end up finding them. So we have to make sure we handle them properly. And then we also use uh, some x-ray um, analyzers. So we need to have the proper procedures in place so people don't get hurt using those. Do you typically, can you just wear your standard casual work stuff how often do you have to put on like ppe for situations all right well i mean we wear ppe every day on the facilities to keep us from getting injured but are you talking about in like dealing with radioactive materials or like any or like toxic chemicals where you're beyond gloves you're you've got gloves and boots and now you have to wear have you ever had to wear a suit for anything no i i don't do that kind of work <laughs> would you I want would I you call want the professionals to? for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, once you detect the problem, you're like, okay, I'm calling in somebody else. Yeah, because, I mean, I, I've got the training to do that kind of work, but I'm not necessarily physically capable of working for long periods of time in the, the what you're talking about, it's like a level B where you're wearing the, a suit with the air supply um, or with a heavy respirator. Yeah. <clears throat> I've got asthma, so that doesn't uh, lend well to using respirators for long periods of time. That, that makes sense. Uh, why do you think, has this just been a good job? Why do you still, because you, so now I kind of see the, tra I see the trajectory more, you know, the mechanic into school for physics, the physics has shift to geology, and then in, in environmental stuff for the last 20 years. Why do you think, um, you thought geology was interesting. Why do you stay in this field right now? Well, I mean, it's all problem solving, and that's what I enjoy doing. The mechanics was problem solving. <clears throat> the environmental field has been problem solving. The physics and geology were both problem solving. So it's just different kinds of problems. And so recently that's what I figured out is I enjoy solving problems. And so that's what I've been doing. How do you deal with situations where you work on a problem and you cannot solve it? I try to get the help or go do the research so that I can solve it. If it turns out to, have you ever run into anything that was sort of an unsolvable problem? You were trying to achieve a goal and the goal turned out to be, it was not going to be possible. Well, then you try to take baby steps and work your way towards that. Uh, you are, you are undeterred by the difficult problem is what you're saying. Correct. <laughs> I mean, I've, I had one remediation project where we were doing a cleanup and we had a, we got some ideas on how we wanted to try to do the cleanup. We had a company come in, they brought some equipment in to do a pilot study and it did not get to where we wanted it. It got to where they thought was fine, but it was not where we wanted it to be. And so I went and did some more research and figured out a, process to actually make it work and ended up the client was very happy and that's actually the client that I now work for <clears throat> or well kind of because the the company I went to work for ended up selling me to another company so <laughs> <laughs> like that they took your like your contract got sold to another company 
Well, no, the the portion of the company that I worked for, they sold to another company, which ended up working out better because uh, just logistics, it it was more viable to, because one of the biggest costs is transportation. So instead of shipping it 500 or 1,000 miles, they end up shipping 150, 200 miles. Wow, okay. So by selling from one company to another, they get got into a better situation with distance to the steel mill. Do you think back to when you were in high school and in your first job as an auto mechanic and maybe even in college, in your 20 years, what has that done to your understanding of how everybody in a country is moving things around and taking care of things and building things? Has your understanding of how all these things work around you just expanded massively in the time? Um, when you say moving things around, you mean my what I've seen with logistics or just yeah logistics. So the building of things, the tearing down of things, the managing of things, the how the waste works. Is this all stuff that sort of how do you kind of add this to your brain? Does it feel like you understand more about the world, or does it feel like a very still the very narrow niche of your job? Um. Well, I mean, in what I've done over since I've gotten out of high school, I've seen a lot of different things. Have I seen everything? Heck no. But I've definitely learned a lot more and there's always more to learn. Um, one of the things I've really found interesting with dealing with the scrap yards is you see equipment come in and then you, you try to figure out what was it used for or where, how does it work and see what somebody had to think of to put this thing together to make it do what it did and so it's it's fascinating just seeing the obsolete scrap come in and then you wonder about okay if this is obsolete and it's so neat what are they using now <laughs> or is it that it's gone somewhere else and so it is still state-of-the-art it's just it's not used here because of labor costs being so high right but it's also interesting seeing <clears throat> the full circle of of equipment you see it come into us we add a little bit more entropy into it to turn it into the raw material that then is the feedstock for new steel so see it being made built uh decommissioned sent to us torn down into component parts and then turned back into steel it's a it's a fascinating process and having working for a steel company, I've seen the scrap side of it. Then I've also done uh, tours of the steel mill and seeing how the electric arc furnaces work and then the casting and all that. It's, just, it's fascinating. Uh, tell me about that. I've heard about electric arc, but have, have not gone and seen it for myself. Tell me about that process and what it looks like. What do those things look like? Well, you basically have a giant crucible. And they put in the scrap in there, and then they have three carbon electrodes because they're using three-phase power from the power company. And so they, as they drive that down into the the scrap metal, it <clears throat> they at, turn on the electricity and it arcs between those three electrodes, and thereby creating the heat that then melts the metal. And then if they need to add or, or remove stuff to make it be the composition of whatever their final steel is going to be. They'll do that. And then <clears throat> depending on 
what kind of steel they're making. They'll use a different casting process, and then they'll take the billets or the flat roll and then take it and roll it out to whatever the final dimension is. The only thing about the the whole process, the thing that always looks scariest to me is probably that first part where you're heating up, melting it down, making the composition. Would you be scared to work around something that's that high a temperature? Um, other than you're going to get really hot. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. It's a little steamy in there, but beyond that. I mean, they've done it long enough that they've got very good safety procedures and equipment so that injuries are actually in that portion are fairly low. It's normally in the equipment maintenance because you're moving such heavy stuff around that people get uh, pinched or fall or do stuff like that is more where the injuries come from than a direct burn from the uh, heat. And, And... now, there have been some where, like, a mold or something breaks and it sprays out. Um, sometimes in the rolling of rebar, they have what they basically call spaghetti, where the rebar misses one of the rollers and then it spools out into the facility instead of oh, going where it's supposed to. And those can be very dangerous because you've got glowing red-hot steel shooting out at 50, 100 miles an hour going everywhere. Do they use electricity for all the heating of the metal and the and the chemicals that are going into it? Is it just electricity, or are they using other heating methods? In the arc, in the EAFs, which is electric arc furnace, which is much more economical than doing the old blast furnaces where they're yes. heating it with coal or natural gas or heating oil. Um, the electricity is much more efficient, um, uses less resources than it is to use the blast furnaces. Now, the reheat process, at least that our company uses, we're we're generally using natural gas or heating oil. Now, the previous company that I worked for um, before they sold me off, they would use almost exclusively uh, electricity because they would use an induction coil to to reheat uh, before they rolled it to keep a constant temperature when it went into the rollers. Is it simply a question using heating oil or something else other than electricity? Is it just an economy efficiency question? Or is there some reason that for scrap metal, you'd want to use a different method? Well, no, almost all steel that's made with electric arc furnaces is made from scrap metal. Okay. Almost none of it is from the only place that you are using the electric arc furnaces is if you're making it from scrap metal. If you're making it from uh, ore, that's generally still done in a blast furnace. Do you? Um, so what's the reason? For why? Why? Do you know? Um, the electric arc furnaces uh, steel is already conductive. The, oh. The, for the blast furnaces, you're heating it up and you're melting the iron out of the ore, and so you have parts there that are conductive parts that are not so you wouldn't be able to necessarily use the electric arc furnace and that's a supposition on my part i don't know that for sure but i do know that that's how it's generally done now some companies are still using blast furnaces with scrap metal but it's just not as efficient okay you lose a lot of that heat right just to 
So who I I feel like when I talk to you about your job, it's it sounds like there's a lot of independent stuff you can do. You're you're doing your own reports. Who helps you overall in a given day or week or month of your job? Well, I mean, I have other environmental managers that I can lean on and they can lean on me. Um, we all have our strong points, so we talk to the others. Um, I also do have some technicians that are not under my direct control um, that are under one of the envir other environmental managers that's in the same regional area that I am in that I can lean on for help if I need help. <clears throat> I also lean a lot on the facility staff for the facilities that I'm working with to help do the things that need to be done around their facilities. So I, I help guide them through what they need to do, but a lot of times they're the ones that are doing it. Okay. I use consultants a lot of times to do sampling um, because just the people at the facilities, when it starts raining, if they're worried about getting their production done, they forget that, oh, I got to go collect a stormwater sample. So a consultant wants to get it done because that's how they get paid. So it works better to have the consultants collecting the samples. But overall, it does sound like so you do have you have colleagues and you have colleagues with, you know, uh, subordinates and team members who can help you. But it feels like a fairly solitary kind of independent job where you're given assignments and you manage those assignments yourself. Pretty much. OK. Is there any part of the job over the course of a year that is really like a big team project where from start to finish, it's going to mean a lot of teamwork and or is that not really kind of not part of the job? Everything that we do is teamwork because I, the facilities are technically responsible for their environmental program. I'm there to facilitate it and help them manage it and keep them on track. So, oh, so it's it's not you sort of coming and dictating. It's they're supposed to have a plan already. They're supposed to work on this. They're responsible for it. You're coming in to help them do it. Kind of. Um, I generally put the plan or people in my group, we put the plan together that they follow, but they're ultimately the ones that are responsible. And that since it's they are the ones that are responsible, it helps make sure that it, things are getting done because it falls on their shoulders. Right. What do other people think about your job? What do other people think about my job or me when I show up? <laughs> no. What do when you tell people what you do or you explain what you do or or what what do people think about the work you do? Well, you get some people that say, "Oh, you're an environmentalist." It's like, no, I'm not an environmentalist. <laughs> <laughs> one one of the ways I like to describe it is, I help keep the facilities. Um, in compliance but I also i'm the one that's there between them and the regulators when there's an issue to help because the regulators don't always understand the facility people and the facility people don't always understand the regulators so i'm there to kind of be the interpreter and help r smooth out the feathers from getting ruffled so sometimes you're kind of almost like a pr person 
are have there been numerous situations where you've kind of come into a situation situation where the the facilities people and the regulators are already angry at each other or frustrated about something and so when you step in and you know you're in this ongoing conversation everybody's already mad before you get there not generally most of the guys and gals have been around the block enough that that they know that they have to play nice it's (laughs) it's it's not the old school um we're a big company so we have to do the right thing we can't just tell the regulator to go pound salt and we have to play by the rules, um, yeah. and we do play by the rules. So it's nice that, that the facility managers and everybody realize that and are willing to do that. Um, so all the all the regulation, all the stuff you do, do you feel like most of what you do, all that um, checking the wastewater, checking, making sure none of this stuff is is bleeding out anywhere? It all just costs money, or does it, any of it actually improve efficiency or improve the economy of a facility, or is it really always just a sunk cost in every facility that you have to spend time, money, and effort to make sure this this stuff doesn't go anywhere it's not supposed to? Or does it ever feel like it improves the efficiency of a facility? Uh, sometimes it does. Um, it, I mean, like we get a a product in called turnings, which are generally have a cutting oil on them. And uh, by managing them in a building that's undercover and having the fluids collected in a tank to be hauled off for recycling, it's better than, because uh, the stormwater permits say that as long as you keep it on a concrete or asphalt surface and the discharge goes through an oil water separator or equivalent, it that doesn't catch everything and a lot of times they're using an emulsified cutting fluid now which isn't going to be caught by a oil water separator so when that material gets out into the soil um on the way to the stream or river yeah it's going to put oils into that soil granted most of those oils are going to break down over time by the naturally occurring bacteria sunlight and plants and stuff but if you do have all those oils getting into the ground you're going to have to clean that up and that's very costly so if we can handle it proper on the front side it is a cost saving also generally keeping it in those buildings it's very easy to manage because you dump it in and you use a ex or a front end loader to pull it out it's got big thick walls that you can push against so it's it makes it a lot easier to handle the material. So I, yes, that building is very expensive, but I think <laughs> it does improve efficiency because you now have a nice big pile where it's easy to get. You're not pushing it around, chasing it around a concrete pad, <clears throat> having it go over the side. So I think overall, it, it in that instance, yes, it, it, it has a high cost, but it ultimately it's a money saver. And also... If you're managing the stuff in a proper way, you're not releasing it, so you're saving on costs, whether it be uh, remediation costs, fines, uh, bad public opinion. Um, That's all costs that are not necessarily looked at as directly part of the business, but it all causes bad problems. Right. 
have you ever been in, involved in a facility or in an event that caused that actually did get press or that was a larger issue than just between facilities and regulators? Um, yeah, I mean, I've dealt with regulators, uh, like we had a fire at a facility and so there was helicopters and news and it was all over the media in the local area. Um, so I was in direct contact with the regulators so that they knew what was going on in the fire department and everything. So yes, I have been involved in a granted that's not necessarily a issue that you have complete control over, but it wasn't like we had a release of a material that was 100% preventable. Right. Since we we have um, procedures in place and notifications in place to try to reduce the chance of having a fire, but sometimes stuff does slip through because you can't look at every single thing in every single load as it's being dumped out. But if you see something, we pull it off to the side. But that doesn't always happen. Does your company manage not just uh, collecting scrap and making – so does your your company make new steel from ore and recycled steel from scrap, both of it? No, we're strictly make it from scrap. I got gotcha. you. And are they involved in any way – is your company involved in any way in manufacturing? So manufacturing the stuff after it's done? Uh, yeah, we do take the steel and manufacture it or, yeah, manufacture it into the product that the companies are going to use. Okay. It'll be ready for use. So whatever they're going to use yeah. it for construction, things like that. Yeah. Nice. Well, those were, you know what, th- those were all my questions. I, I run, it's interesting. I think I run into the same thing with you on this one as I did um, with another interview where I'm like, I, I just don't know what I, we're talking about sometimes. So, but this is, a, you've explained everything in a great way and I understood it all. And uh, so I appreciate you taking the time. Absolutely. I was glad to do it. Yeah. So uh, this was Peter and uh, he is not an environmentalist. He is, what What would you, what's your job again? I'm an environmental manager. Environmental manager. Thank you. Yes. Thanks, man. Thank you.